All right. Uh, welcome back to Failure TV, everybody. Uh, my next guest is a veteran entrepreneur who has seen the highs, he has lived the lows, and he's worked his way back up again. His new book, Chasing the High, is currently available for pre-order, and I'm very excited to welcome Parallel HR President and CEO, Michael Dash. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No problem at all. So um, why don't you tell people a little bit uh, about your background and kind of how you got to where you are and how you ended up um, getting into the whole parallel HR thing? Because you've had uh, a little bit of, uh, of an amazing ride, uh, both up and down. You've uh, dealt with some addiction. You've dealt with some bad business partner issues, uh, some legal issues with that. Um, why don't you take us through that story here? Uh, yeah, um, a, a turbulent ride would be an understatement to say the least. It's been, it's definitely been a roller coaster ride of ups and downs and um, with addiction, entrepreneurship, uh, legal battles, everything that you just mentioned. Um, you know, I, I grew up back east here in the United States in New Jersey. My father was an entrepreneur. So I always knew in some respect that I would, I would be an entrepreneur. I always followed him around. I was in the store with him. He had me working when I was 10. So I knew, you know, I was a sales guy. I knew I wanted to run my own business. And, you know, after I graduated uh, college, I uh, took a job um, in New York City. You know, my best friend was in staffing. And he said to me, you know, I, I think you'd be really good in this business. Uh, why don't you come join me? And, you know, I said, well, let me go work for another uh, staffing company. Let me learn on their dime for a year and then I'll come and I'll join you. So you don't have to waste all your time teaching me about the industry. So that's what I did. Um, and I, I worked one year in technology staffing in New York City right before 9-11 happened. Um, and at that point, I had actually met my ex-business partner. So when 9-11 happened, she went back to Salt Lake City, Utah, where she was from. I went and I to work with my best friend that I grew up with. So I worked with him for four years. He actually had some legal issues with the owner of the company. He was the president at the time, and they ended up parting ways. I was calling on business for E-Trade Financial in New York City. You know, they said to me, we don't have any business here, but if you happen to know somebody in Sandy, Utah, we're trying to hire 200 financial service reps in the next three and a half weeks. So I happened to know one person in staffing outside of the metropolitan area, and it was my ex-business partner who was here in Salt Lake City. So since my company didn't want the business, you know, the entrepreneur that, that I am, you know, I called her up. I asked her if she was interested in putting a bid together on it, bidding it, and, um, and she was. Uh, either way, I was going to do it. She was interested. We put a bid together. We won the bid. We filled all 200 positions in three and a half weeks. And then we got projects in Alpharetta, Georgia, Jersey City, and Tampa, Florida. And in one year, we filled 800 positions. The, these were uh, financial service reps, Series 7 and 63 licensed. Um, we filled 800 of those in one year for E-Trade Financial. And oh. that's kind of when I knew I didn't want to work for anybody anymore. And um, I went out to Utah, not knowing anybody but her to start Parallel HR 11 years ago. Um, and, and, and that's kind of how the company itself started. That's uh, that's a that's an amazing story, um, and to to be able to to bid on a project like that uh, right out the door uh, can certainly <laughs> give you the foothold that you need. 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. It, it, it definitely did. Um, and, you know, before that time, uh, you know, I had been gambling. You know, I'd been, I'd always been like, had this entrepreneurial mindset, but I also had a major gambling issue. Like I was a sports nut. Like when I grew up, I played sports, I watched sports, I listened to sports, I went to sleep listening to the radio, I woke up listening to the radio all about sports, I would gamble on anything. Um, you know, it would go, you know, I gambled on the horses. Uh, when I was in Little League, my Little League coach would, was working for my father, and I had Pete guys working for my dad in the warehouse where I would, would help out when I'm 11, 12, 13 years old. They would take me to the Meadowlands racetrack. Okay, we would go in and bet on the horses. They would take me to OTB, which is this off-track betting. So I could give them money. They would bet for me. I would bet on sporting games with them. We would play card games. It was just out of control from the get-go. Our friends would get together on the weekends. We'd play high-low, AC-Ducey. We'd have these big pots of money. I mean, I was the first one who had a job because I was a little, a few months older than all my friends. So I was also the first one who had a bank account. And I used to take my checkbook to gamble with my friends. And I would write checks out when I'm like 16, 17 years old. I remember having a checkbook uh, at that age as well. I had my first uh, job, I think, when I was 12 doing, doing paper out. But uh, uh, any kind of gambling I was doing back then, it was usually for, for candy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was my addiction back then. Still is a, a little bit. So that, that's definitely an, an early age uh, to, to start gambling, especially on, on that level. Yeah, well, I was introduced to me by my uncle one year. Um, and, you know, we always went to Massachusetts for Thanksgiving here in the States. And um, one year, you know, we would always watch the football games. And my uncle pulled this ticket out of his pocket. And he was looking at this ticket. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, oh, look, uh, if you circle four games here and you pick the right teams and you give me $10, then you'll win $100 if all four of those teams win. And I was just like, oh, my God, that is so cool. Wow. And so I went to my, my mom and asked her for $10. And I think she said no. And then I went to my dad, and he said, fine, here. And, you know, I told him those were sandwiches or something. And, and anyway, so I, I gave the $10 to my uncle, bet those four games, and, and won. And then I was hooked. You know, I was immediately hooked for for that. Uh, you know, after I won that bet, so you yeah, know, gambling caused caused a lot. It got really out of control when I ended up going to college because then I became a bookie. So I was not only gambling, but I was taking bets also from a whole bunch of people. Uh, and then I was trying to lay some of those bets off with other people, and it was it was a nightmare. It was uh, it was really a nightmare. But I got this like rush from it, and uh, and I was one of those gamblers that always lost. So I never won. I was like truly addicted um, to the high. Yes. Um, you know, and I, that, I know that feeling. I, I went to Vegas once, and that first time that I went on a craps table was, you, you just, you can't even really explain it until you experience it. It's it's definitely something different. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then you know, being in college, you know, all in high school, I never did a drug in my life, and I was like uh, athlete as president of the student council. 
Um, you know, I was like an above average student. I wasn't a genius or anything, but above average student. But I uh, went to a small high school and then I went to a really large college, uh, University of Maryland at about 30,000 um, between undergraduate and grad. And so I was experienced, you know, I got experience there to like a whole new world. And then I started, you know, you know partaking in, in, in drug activity while I was gambling. So I was mixing the two. Like, so one high wasn't good enough for me. Like I was, I would end up doing Coke and gambling all the time. And, um, it really put me in a, in a, not the best, uh, play. At first it was fun. Just like all, everything starts off as fun and then it's completely out of control and it grips and takes control of your life. And, and, um, and that's what it did for me. Uh, and, you know, I ended up really losing everything I ever made, um, at an early age. Um, and, uh, and, you know, one day I, I just, and, and I was heavily involved in the drugs. Um, you know, when I, I moved to New York city, uh, that just escalated because it was like, you know, it was cocaine everywhere in New York city and gambling everywhere. You can find a poker game to play anywhere. You can bet with any bookies, you know, the drugs, they deliver them to your house. I mean, it's just, you have a service you can call up. So it was, it was a lot of that. Now, and while all this was going on, I was always to maintain, I was always able to maintain my work. I was really focused and I didn't mix drugs with work, but I definitely mixed gambling with work. I would gamble like all day while I was working. So it was really, really a sick obsession. Um, so kind of like social media these days, can't, you just can't put that phone down. It's always, always there. Oh. You always got to keep checking. That's actually a good correlation right there. Um, yeah, it, it is like that. I mean, I would have party poker up on my, you know, computer screen. And when I worked at this other job in New York and the boss would be working, about looking, you know, walking around, walking the back of me and I'd be minimizing the screen while I'm playing a game of poker with other virtual players. Um, and uh, and then I would always have the newspaper and I'd be staring at the lines because I was a big sports gambler. And I'd be looking at the games and, and seeing, you know, I, I'd just be like, all right, what games do I want to do I want to bet tonight? And I'd be like circling them. But in the meantime, I would have like around it, like this business magazine. So if anybody from around the room saw me, it looked like I was reading a business magazine, but I really have all these lines, you know, um, uh, you know, that I'm looking at for all the different sports games. And it, it became so bad that I would bet on, um, you know, the uh, um, UK sports, I'm not even joking, I would bet on UK sports that I couldn't even watch on TV before I would go to sleep. And then I would just wake up and find out who won. Like, I wouldn't, I'd just see the score and see if I won or not. Yeah. And I don't know anything about UK sports. I don't know, Manchester United, I would bet on them and, you know, all this stuff. And, and um, yeah, yeah, it was just, it was really, really bad. And one day I, uh, I was driving back to Massachusetts with my brother um, and uh, for Thanksgiving again, uh, which is ironic, the synchronicity between when it started and when I decided to kind of get control of it. But he wouldn't let me put sports radio on the radio. And I'm like, what do you mean? I need to listen to what's going on with the games and all that. He's like, no, he's like, I'm not gambling anymore. We can't listen to it. And after we bickered back and forth, I said, fine, we'll listen to music. And then when we got there three hours later, I was like, you know what? That was actually a nice calming ride. You know, my brain wasn't running a million miles an hour, figuring out what I was going to bet on and taking all these notes and all this other stuff. And, and then I just thought to myself, you know, 
what did I want to find out what they did to my brother? Because my brother also had gambled and he had stopped and he did it by going to Gamblers Anonymous. So um, so that's when I decided I'm going to go check out a meeting. And that's what I did when I got back. And uh, and it's been 12 years. So I'll be celebrating 13 years in June um, of uh, when I placed my last bet. Congratulations. That's that's a, a huge accomplishment. Like, uh, like even I, I quit smoking about six years ago and, you know, even quitting smoking is, is a difficult thing to do. And it, it really feels good to know that like the longer you go without, you know, falling back into that old trap, it, it really does feel good. Um, what are yeah. kind of some of the things that you do on your side um, to keep yourself from, from going back to that? Well, I actually started a series called Fate. F-A-T-E, from addict to entrepreneur. So I interview former addicts who are now entrepreneurs and have built multi-million dollar businesses. And I publish those articles on um, uh, Thrive Global um, and Medium. Uh, Thrive Global's Huffing is Ariana Huffington's um, publication. And I also started a Facebook group called F-A-T-E, same thing, um, for anybody who's a, a addict or who's a friend or family member of an addict to build a community of support and offer different services um, to, uh, to people who are looking for them. Uh, so I, I stay grounded and I, and I also, you know, go to Gamblers Anonymous. Um, I don't go as consistently as I used to, but I still go. Um, and work the steps. And, you know, I have right here on my desk, if you can see that, it's called A Day at a Time, Gamblers Anonymous, A Day at a Time. It's a blue book. And, you know, there's a little like um, prayer um, uh, every uh, for every day of the year. But it's not like, uh, you know, some of it has some God stuff in there, but um, a lot of it does not um, because I'm much more of a spiritual person than a religious person. So those are the things that I do to stay away from. I stay away from, you know, I couldn't go to casinos for the first five years. And I was ironically doing business with casinos. I was staffing IT people for casinos, of course. Um, You know, I figured they took all my money. Now it's time to get some back and let them pay me for some services. Absolutely. And I I love that you're, 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 you're taking what was a bad thing and, and, helping other people as well um that like being able to to help others get through things that you have gone through yourself is an amazing yeah. thing uh, i'm a pretty big philanthropist myself i help with the local women's shelter and, and stuff like that uh, on my side of things and I, I love hearing when people are doing stuff like that but because you work with those type of people i think you've got um, a very valuable insight as well into the whole failure side of things because um as somebody that you know, had tried to quit smoking numerous times, I would always consider myself a failure when I tried to quit and I didn't. And I can imagine the same thing being an addict or a gambler, whether it's um, gambling or drugs that you kind of feel the same way if you kind of fall off the wagon, I'm a failure. So uh, how how do you look at failure in terms of the addiction side of things? And and how do you help people kind of shift their mindset from being the failure to, to, to to getting on with their life and moving forward? Well, you know, addiction's a tricky thing, right? There's no, I mean, there's a lot of people who are full off the wagon um, and, um, you know, they'll fall off, uh, you know, the horse, so to speak. Um, It's just important to get back. Uh, You know, you're going to have bumps in the road. You know, everything isn't, 
uh, a smooth path. You know, I always like to tell my staff uh, the road to success is always under construction. And, like you know, and, and so when you do hit a roadblock, it's important that, okay, take a second, be upset, but gather yourself and learn something from it and incorporate that into your life to make you a better person and make, you know, um, and make you that much stronger the next time around. I mean, when I saw that, you know, there, that you were doing the show called Failure TV, um, then I was like, oh, my God, that's perfect because I am an expert in how not to do shit. Okay? I think we all that, are. These that's days. what I'm an expert in. And, you know, I, I isolated myself a lot. I was very, um, you know, to my parents especially. And I don't even think they knew why, but I was very rude to them all the time. You know, again, I, I would let people in at a close to me, but only close enough that I was comfortable with. Right. So they always thought they were close to me, but they really weren't because it wasn't like I had a lot of demons inside of me and everything. There were things that I really, really failed at was a, being a leader at my company because I was so angry about a lot of things. The lawsuit with my ex-business partner. So, I, you know, we've had I had parallel for 11 years and five years ago, I or six years ago, I bought her out. Um, we were butting heads. You know, we wanted to go in different directions. And after the buyout, I felt she violated the agreement. And um, so I stopped payments that I had still owed her. And in turn, she sued me. So then I countersued her. And this went back and forth and back and forth for six years. We've been in legal battles. And, you know, a lot of the mistakes I made were making emotional decisions, right? Yeah. And when you make an emotional decision, the outcome is never going to be positive, okay? You, you know, so I learned valuable lessons by doing that. But it also, it, you know, I've made millions and I've lost millions, you know, I'm just fortunate enough that I just settled this lawsuit last week. Okay, six years. If we did this, if we did this interview two weeks ago, I wouldn't have been settled. But six years ago, I, I and and I tried to settle it a few other times, but my ego got continued to get in the way of me doing what was best for my future. And I, if I can give anybody any tip, you know, I think. When you're in a conflict, a lot of the time you view what the other person is going to get if you settle it, not what you're going to get, not the salvation you're going to get, the clarity you're going to get, the, um, you know, the abundance of life that all of a sudden you're going to have, the positivity that's going to enter your life, more importantly, the negativity that's going to fall off. Too often, what we do is we think about, okay, wait a second, she's going to get this after she did this to me, but it, it shouldn't be what she's going to get. It should be about, the only thing we should care about is what it's going to do for us. Yes. We're living our life. We're not living their life. And, you know, that's a huge mistake I would make. I would always compare, like when we were trying to negotiate a settlement, I would always compare this. And that, that was a big mistake, emotional decision-making and comparing, like, and is she, you know, I'm getting a raw deal and, and then, you know, having my ego just, you know, 
putting your ego aside. And, and, and really, that's definitely hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody's so I learned, gets in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot of lessons that way. And really a big thing that changed for me is when I took a trip to Bali and um, with an entrepreneur group and uh, I was introduced to the study of flow and living in flow. Uh, which the whole premise is living an effortless life by following your highest intuition at all times. And, you know, if it's not a hell yes, then it should be an F no in everything that you do. And, you know, I never lived my life like that. So, uh, you know, I had spent years of my life making decisions strictly financial. Like, is this a good financial decision for me? Okay, yes. Okay, it was always about the money for me. And that that's the wrong way to live life because ultimately money will not make you happy. Because like I said, I had a lot of money and now I'm about to not have a lot of money and I couldn't be happier. Yeah. I actually read a quote uh, from you. I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was talking about how you used to be uh, such a negative person and you've completely turned around to, to be um, more of a happy person and, and that, and I can totally relate to that because uh, I used to be the same way. I used to be very negative. Um, I used to read the news a lot, which I do not anymore. Um, it makes me upset. Good. It makes me Good. angry. I get negative. I get upset. And I just, I don't want that in my life. And I think that has a lot to do with entrepreneurs as well and being in that wrong mindset. Uh, do you think the the money and the negativity kind of went hand in hand? Do you think they were related at all? Or do you think those were two different things that still ended up in the, in the same bucket together to help you in the wrong direction at first? Uh, well, I, I, I think when you combine, you know, so it's always been about money for me. I was gambling at a young age, right? right. All about money. Right. And even though I didn't gamble, I gambled because of the high. It was still around money. The lawsuit was all about money. Right. And I allowed my emotions to get involved in it. But it was all about money and ego. Right. And that put me in a negative space. So I would have to say, yeah, they're tied together. But I would be walking down the street when I lived in New York City. And if somebody looked at me, the first thought in my head would be, you know, what the F is that person looking at? Yeah. Not like smile and say, hi, how you doing? Have a great day. Hope you have a great day. Right? No, it would be like, what the hell are they looking at? And like, that's a very heavy way to go through life. And there's a lot of people who do that. And I did that for the majority of my life because I was so angry about all this other stuff that was going on that, frankly, I, I was a major reason why it happened. You know, you, when you get stuck between your right and left ear, right, and, you know, you, you make all these decisions with your head. You make no decisions with your heart. And, and, and that led me to a very bad place because all my decisions with the head were financial. With my head were financial decisions. So now I, I follow my intuition. My intuition told me after six years, you know, you need to forgive yourself. You need to give yourself a break and you need to settle this lawsuit. And even if it's going to cost you a lot of money, it doesn't matter. Because there's one thing, like I always say this to people, okay? You can make millions, you can lose millions. You can always make those that money back. But you can never, never, never get that time back. Once that time is gone, it's gone. And you got another wrinkle. 
and you got to move on. So, you know, it, you know, I'm a stubborn, I've been a stubborn person. It took me a long time to realize it. Uh, um, but I've, I finally turned the corner and my life is just becoming amazing and, and just opening up to just whatever really I want to manifest. I'll be able to, you know, I had just climbed Mount Kilimanjaro a couple of months ago. Wow. And yeah, I did it with Leukemia Lymphoma Society. I raised a lot of money for them. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And, you know, the people in Africa uh, have such a spirit to them. And they, they're happy from the smallest things. You give them a pair of, uh, you know, flip-flops and it's like one of the happiest days ever for them. And to think that, you know, we come back here to the U.S., at least for me, to the U.S., and I hear all these people bitching and complaining about the weather and the traffic and, like, the most ridiculous, absurd things, then it puts life into perspective. And, you know, it, it really makes me uh, appreciate things more and really want to give back and impact others. Absolutely. That's uh, a great way to look at it, too. Um, I've, I've always uh, been under the impression, well, not always, because, again, I was in the same kind of main state, um, always complaining about those little things. And it was actually, um, for some reason, the author's name is just completely voided for me right now, but um, don't sweat the small things, and they're all, or don't sweat the little things, and they're all little things. And yeah. that completely changed my perspective. Um, with just one book and I don't think enough people take the time to try and and change their perspective or outlook on life and I, I have cut out people in in my own life who refused to change that like they were always being negative and I would try and you know let them know like look I used to be that way you can change this there there is other ways to look at it and when you start looking at it and you start becoming a happier person you're just going to notice things are just going to be going better for you. You're not going to have that cloud over your head at all times, which is, uh, it, it wasn't any way that I wanted to continue living my life. And I'm very happy that I decided when I did to, to start changing it. And it did take quite a while for, for me to get there. And I'm, I'm still not entirely there. Like I still have social anxiety issues going out in big groups, stuff like that. But, um, 15 years ago, I, I wouldn't be out at a pub with a bunch of people and, and hanging out and enjoying life. I'd be sitting in the darkest hole on my computer, <laughs> on, on websites, wasting my time and not not contributing anything to anything, really. And it's it's great to be in the other, in the driver's seat now rather than the passenger seat. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's uh, the power of positivity. I mean, yeah. you know, and you have to surround yourself with not only positive people, but people who are elevated. You know, if you want to elevate your life, you have to surround yourself by people that have and are living an elevated life and are contributing at a high level um, because you are the sum of the, you know, five people you surround yourself with, right? Um, so, you know, being able to do that and incorporating other things into your life, like, you know, I listen to positive podcasts, I never listened, used to listen to a year ago. I wasn't listening to podcasts, but there's a lot of great stuff out there, right? Motivating stuff, inspiring stuff. You know, I do some meditation, um, you know, and, and there's a lot more I can do that I'm learning about. You know, I just started doing yoga. I never, never really did yoga. Uh, I like to run. I like to compete. I like to do stuff like that. But, but yoga is very important. Um, or some sort of meditation is very important to, to calm things down, to rest, to, to, to just sit. 
You know, it's very difficult because everybody's doing, 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 and distracted, distracted, distracted. I fall into it too. Like always have noise on in the background instead of just listening to the quiet and, you know, having. I was going out back for that with the nature, the the noise of the birds and the, and the wind. Yeah, yeah. It's very therapeutic and it can reset you when you have to go back to the grind, when you have to go back to work, when you, but, but it, it, it also uh, gives you an appreciation of the amazing world that we live in and to take advantage of all of it. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm very lucky to live in an area that uh, is absolutely gorgeous for things like hiking. And like, there's lots of trees, lots of little like hidden, like water spots and stuff like that. So you can go, hiking for an hour and turn a corner and all of a sudden you're at this like little lake up on a mountain and you know, there's a deer over there and there's birds and it's just, it's very serene. And, um, previous to, to be coming back here, I actually, I came back home to be closer to my mom who was getting older. But, uh, one of the things that made me want to move back was the overall stress in my life in the big city. So coming back to my hometown, that's a lot smaller with all the trees and everything else was such a huge mind shift for me. And like within a week, I was so much happier just being in, in an area with so many trees and yeah. everything as opposed to being surrounded by buildings so it's yeah, uh, nature nature can be amazing i live here in utah and uh you know uh, i can certainly appreciate that absolutely especially coming from from new york where yeah. you, same kind of thing where you know you don't have as much um now with, with everything that um you've gone through and everything that you help everybody with um everybody's got a different definition of failure and what failure is so what is your definition definition of failure? What do you think would be a failure in your eyes? Um, I tend to view failure as uh, learning experiences, um, not so much as failure. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the word failure um, because just because you didn't succeed at what you were doing doesn't mean you failed. Exactly. The fact that you try is success in itself. So I would say failure would be not trying. Okay. Not attempting to do something because you're nervous. You're worried about what somebody else is going to think of you. You're worried about how you're perceived, all these things. You know, I, for, uh, for a while I was doing a bunch of uh, Facebook lives and I kind of tailed off on doing them. Um, and, um, you know, at, at some point, and then now I'm starting to ramp them up again um, as, uh, you know, my book is going to uh, hopefully come out towards the end of the, towards the late summer. Um, uh, but you can get in your head and you can start thinking, you know what, I don't want to go and talk about failure on TV. I don't want to go on, on, on Facebook Live and talk about my gambling. I just don't want to do it. I'm tired. I'm lazy. You can come up with a million excuses for yourself. The failure is not trying. So that's what I would say. Absolutely. I love that description. And and I think I've got a very similar kind of uh, statement on one of the, uh, I share out uh, failure quotes every every week. And uh, one of them is quite along those lines of, you know, fa- failure is basically not trying. Yeah. And I have kind of thought the, the same for, for most of my life because, um, well, back when I was younger, I got picked on a lot. So I always considered myself a failure. Uh, the word failure, like you said, um, 
I'm not a big fan of it. It does have a, a negative connotation to it, but it took me a while to realize that failure wasn't the failure. It was, it was not even trying. And that's kind of where this came from was somebody telling me, you know, that they admired me for continually trying all these new things because they would be scared shitless. I'm like, well, I am scared shitless. <laughs> well, why do you keep doing it? I'm like, well, because I'm, I'm not going to know if I don't try. I, I have to at least try because it's always going to be a no. And it's always going to be, it's never going to happen if you don't even try. So uh, I always have to try and push myself into that uh, mindset for for everything, really. And yeah, it's a lot. Totally. Um, I also wanted to talk a, a little bit about your book that's coming out, um, Chasing the High. Um, do you want to explain the concept there for, for the Chasing the High? Sure. Um, so, you know, obviously I talked about my gambling problem. Um, I, I, when you have an addiction and you're working through that addiction, it's it's challenging because you have, even when you're sober, you all of a sudden have all this time that you devoted to that addiction. And what are you going to do with all that time? You don't live, like I wasn't used to living a quote unquote normal life. You know, with a lot of activities fulfilling my days and everything. No, it was like gambling all the time, right? And sports and drinking and all this other stuff was around it, but it was all part of the gambling. So, you know, for me, when I stopped gambling, it's and and I still struggle with this now. It's always about filling in that time with um, uh, with different activities and and, and surrounding yourself with people. Um, but, you know, when I stopped uh, gambling, I started running. That was one of the first things I did. And I ran four marathons in five years. Wow. Um, Impressive. And, yeah, thank you. And then I had a couple of, um, I had a couple of back surgeries. So I kind of stopped doing that. And then, uh, you know, I, like I just said, I just climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, um, which is 19,000 feet. Um, and, you know, it's always been about, and then in, in business, you know, I would always get a high when I closed the deal. Like I would get that rush, you know. So it, it's just always been about chasing the high for me. And so the book and even with the lawsuit, right. So the book is a journey, entrepreneurial journey, my entrepreneurial journey and the lessons that I've learned. Uh, you know, and chasing the high is just simply what I've done my whole life. And there's obviously more positive highs to chase. Uh, the negative highs, there can be both. Um, for, for me, at this point in my life, the best high I get is when I'm helping a leukemia patient, right? I'm raising money for them, or I'm going and surprising them at the hospital like I did last week with like 40 boxes of Girl Scout cookies, um, you know, and, and just bringing them into to, um, to Allie, who's um, somebody uh, who, who was seven years old here in Utah and had her leukemia came back. She was, I was nominated for the man of the year, woman of the year, um, uh, LL, uh, for Leukemia Lymphoma Society in two, that late 2016. And that was a 10 week fundraising blitz where I raised $75,000 in 10 weeks for them along with my uh, teammates. And she was the girl of the year they were honoring that year. She was five year old 
uh, five years old at that point. She overcame it and she was clear for about, I don't know, six months to a year. And then it came back. So she's back in the hospital. So, you know, being able to go have an impact on her, see her smile, um, you know, that's a high for me. So, you know, chasing the high, though, is about the missteps that I've made, the uh, emotional decisions, what I learned from them, you know, being in a legal battle and listening to the wrong people, even though you think they're the right people. And when, when, when I say that, I'm talking about family members um, who only have one-sided view and it's yours, um, not giving you like an objective view, but not really knowing that they're not doing that because they're your son or your cousin or your uncle or whatever. They want the best for you, right? Uh, not, you know, so a lot of lessons learned through things like that. And then about, you know, how you work and treat your employees and, and, and you know, how these other distractions can really affect your um, health and in turn affect how you act and treat others. And just a lot of different lessons that I learned throughout that. And then finding flow and kind of overcoming it all um, and now being in a, uh, in a great place. That's awesome. And I think Chasing the High is a great title and a great way to explain it because I, I get the same way. Like every time I do one of these episodes, I like for the next like two hours afterwards, I'm just like, all wired and, and on that high from, from doing it as getting everything ready and posting it online. And I think more people um, just in their day-to-day -day activities need to do more of the stuff that give them those highs. Like if you're in a job that doesn't give you that, then go, go and find it. Like find whatever it is that makes you do that and try and make a job out of that. Like make yeah. yourself as happy as possible. Yeah. If you're not at, look, everybody can change their situation. Regard, I mean, a million people give you a million reasons why they can't. Um, but that's the negative mindset. It's about what you can do. And, you know, every inch forward can make a major change long term. So it's just, you know, incorporating small things. Like I, I always say small steps lead to big changes. Absolutely. Um, so before we wrap up here, one more question for any of the people out there listening, watching that uh, are running into their own roadblocks or coming up with their own excuses, what's a piece of advice or something that you would tell them if, uh, if you ran into them here? Well, I would say you have to start filling your brain with positive thoughts. Okay. Because it, 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 again, you can get stuck. Sometimes we're our worst enemies. So like little things that can really help are just start listening to podcasts. They're free on our Apple phones and I guess Android. Um, uh, you know, just go and start listening to some positivity. It'll start your day off right. You know, May, maybe meditate for 10 minutes. Don't, I'm not saying do anything extreme. You have to start small. You incorporate small things. And then you start opening your mind up to different areas that you never even knew existed because you were so short-sighted in that time. So that would be my suggestion because that's what happened with me. I didn't know anything about flow and the study of flow and following your highest intuition and living that in that life, right? I only knew about the way I grew up and that's how I made all of my decisions and, and, and that wasn't healthy for me. 
You know, for some people, maybe it was, but it wasn't for me. So, you know, go on to the podcast, uh, um, you know, shows channel, you know, start listening to some positivity. Um, it, it could be a million different things. Listen to an affirmation uh, a podcast for 10 minutes. You know, what's it going to do? It's not going to kill you. Right. Um, and then you'll start maybe take a thought with you and do one nice thing for somebody else a day. And things will start to be more positive and you'll have a more positive outlook. I love that. Thank you so much. And again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to come join me and talk to me today about uh, your history, your past, your, your failures and your successes. It's been great having you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. And for all the listeners and viewers out there, thank you so much. We'll see you again next month. Have